0: If you're on social media, the odds are you'll have heard of trolls, people who deliberately post offensive or provocative content on the internet. Maybe you've even been the target of their bile and vitriol.
1: But have you ever heard of electronic flies? They just create this buzz and this annoying noise and they try to swerve the debate. And sometimes it's just to create some sort of pollution, basically electronic
0: flies is how trolls, especially pro-government trolls, have come to be known in Algeria, where earlier this year protesters called for an end to the regime led by President Abdelaziz Bouteflika.
2: This protest movement has started on Facebook, so immediately the regime has understood that the situation in Algeria requires to take control of the web. And that, protesters say, has
0: turned social media into an information battlefield. One where fake news and rumours can spread like wildfire. One where trolls work to sway public opinion. I'm Marco Silva and you're listening to the BBC Trending podcast, where each week we take an investigative look into the world of social media. Today we turn our attention to North Africa and find out how a wave of protests in Algeria has triggered a flood of disinformation on social
3: media. It is
0: very hard to
3: know what is real and what is not.
0: And we also hear how some Algerians are determined to help others separate fact from fiction, news from propaganda. That's coming up later. But first, to tell this story, we need to go back in time to February the 22nd, the day thousands of Algerians went out to protest against President Bouteflika's decision to run for a fifth term in office.
3: He's been back then in office for 20 years, from 1999 to 2019. He was very sick since 2013 and unable to speak to his people for six years. So the decision to run for a fifth bid was taken by Algerians as the ultimate slab.
0: That's Dr. Dalia Ghanem. She's a resident scholar at the Carnegie Middle East Centre in Beirut, Lebanon. And it just so happens she was in Algeria, where she comes from, when the protests took off.
3: I talked to people and it was amazing to see so much energy and so much hope. And it was so peaceful and so well organised that entire families felt enough safe to bring their uh, small kids And I think my first thought was, oh, finally, the wall of fear has been broken by Algerians. They really want things to move towards a more democratic system. Uh, They are fed up with the corruption, with nepotism, with the bad governance. They want change.
0: And that was just the beginning. As the weeks went by, protesters went out again and again and again every Friday, calling for the president to go. Until...
3: After 20 years in power, Algeria's president, Abdelaziz Bouteflika, has resigned with immediate effect. The The
0: president was gone, but for the protesters, this wasn't enough. They wanted to do away with what they describe in French as le pouvoir, the powers that be. In other words, the clique of generals, businessmen and ruling party politicians that have for years surrounded President Bouteflika.
3: This is where the famous hashtag Yitnhauga was born. The hashtag means you will all be removed. So Algerians started asking for the departure of all signs and symbols of the entire regime. And this is where everything started.
0: There have been worries that demonstrations could turn violent if the protesters' demands weren't met. But by and large, that hasn't really been the case so far. And Dalia says that's because most people can still remember the decade-long brutal civil war that the government fought against an Islamist insurgency back in the 1990s more than 150,000 people were killed.
3: Their memory of the Black Decade was very vivid. All what I kept hearing was we are not going to repeat the mistakes of the civil war. We are not going to turn violent. We are not going to give them a justification to shoot on the people on the crowd. Because this time we learned from our mistake. We learned also how the system and the regime works. And this time we are taken up to the street peacefully and civically, and if violence erupts, this is not going to be from our side.
2: My name is Raouf Ferrer. I do work as a political analyst. I'm also one of the founders of the collective Jeunes Engagés.
0: Jeunes Engagés, or Activist Youth, is one of the many groups that have been mobilising people to go out ever since the protests began in February this year. Groups like this one have used social media to spread the word about the protests, to live stream their actions on the ground. But as Rauf says, this hasn't gone unnoticed by the Algerian government.
2: For the first weeks, they've attempted to uh, block the internet or at least lower the speed and the quality of the net which, I mean, they did successfully. And then a second phase of the cyber warfare started by engaging massive trolls and fake news and fake information, fake accounts.
0: What Raouf is saying there, and this is really important, is that as the protests grew louder the protesters themselves became the target of a disinformation campaign online. Rumors and fake news about what was actually going on were allegedly spread online, and trolls deployed to reshape the conversations happening on social media. But what evidence does Raouf have?
2: Every time we launch, for instance, a text or a communication or an idea on the web, on our Facebook page, You'll see trolls commenting negatively on our page, treating the movement with every possible name, etc., etc. So classic methods to discredit real activists through an enormous number of fake accounts who are usually or an overwhelmingly pro-regime, pro-army. To be honest, every
0: time even the BBC publishes stuff online, there will always be people who decide to attack you for the content that you're publishing? How can you be sure that these are trolls, that these are people who are part of a broader strategy to undermine the protest movement? How can you be sure these aren't just supporters of the government, people who actually prefer the government's ideas to those being put forward by the protesters?
2: Usually there are accounts with less than 100 friends created very, very quickly after February 22nd. Secondly, they produce pretty much the same message, but that's the difficulty of the web. There's a total opacity about the source and the origin and the traceability of of this information.
0: So who are these faceless trolls? How can we be sure they are out to undermine the protest movement? And perhaps more importantly, do their actions really matter?
1: My name is Caroline Lombole and I work on the Middle East and North Africa team for BBC Monitoring, which is part of the BBC that looks exclusively at media coverage and tone. As part
0: of her work, Caroline has been looking at how much impact these online trolls have had on the political debate in Algeria.
1: The topic of online trolls is something that it sort of just kept cropping up, both through just monitoring my Twitter feed, looking at pictures of, uh, of banners and listening to slogans, but also there were some news articles in it, because it's become sort of part of the discourse and the coverage of the protests.
0: Caroline shared this video with me. It shows a protest where people are calling out the dubaba, the Arab word for flies. In this case, the electronic flies, the pro-government trolls I mentioned right at the
1: beginning. They just create this buzz and this annoying noise and they try to swerve the debate. And sometimes it's just to create some sort of pollution, basically. There's a lot of Facebook pages that people go to for news. And basically in the comments you can see what appears to be you know, non-human behavior or... Several accounts reposting the same message. And those messages can appear
0: not only in news pages on Facebook, but also on pages run by political figures or people affiliated with the protest movement. Comments are repeated across the board, and they often focus on two big ideas.
1: This idea that there's um, a foreign sponsorship behind the protests, which is it's hardly a new idea in Algeria or elsewhere in the region, that if there's political unrest, it might be somehow pushed or sponsored from outside powers. And in the case of North Africa, France is often the first country that people will point to.
0: And that's because Algeria was a French colony until 1962. But back to Caroline.
1: The other one is just expressing staunch support for the army and anything that it does. Sometimes it's really weird stuff that's just like, long live the army, and that phrase copy-pasted 12 times in one message. So it, it doesn't look like human behavior.
0: It's important to say at this stage that it's not always easy to prove beyond reasonable doubt what is or isn't real human behaviour online. Because, well, people can just be weird online. And while some of the messages Caroline mentioned seem to be supporting the army, there is no actual evidence linking the Algerian army or its generals to these supposed trolls. But the handful of politicians who've spoken up against these electronic flies have pointed their fingers at le pouvoir, the powers that be, that close circle of civilian and military allies around President Bouteflika. We may not know who is behind the trolls. But we do know why they would want to sway Algerians' views using social media of all tools. Dr. Omar Al Ghazi is an assistant professor in media and communication at the London School of Economics.
4: If we think of the broadcast media in Algeria and the uh, press as well, a lot of these outlets are seen as close to the authority and government line. And that is also an added reason why people go on social media for news as well, not only to kind of express themselves, but to actually understand what's going on. There are a lot of tactics that have been used by authority that kind of take advantage of social media. For instance, one of them is what is called uh, fake news. So that is uh, spreading rumors sometimes about uh, specific politicians or protesters who are seen as threatening to authority in certain ways and also creating an environment where there would be a lot of mistrust of what is accessed online. So what evidence
0: is there to back this idea that fake news has spread on social media in response to the protests against the rule of President Bouteflika? And what exactly does this fake news look like? As I tried to find an answer, I heard about this Facebook page called Fake
5: News DZ. Which is a page that tries to debunk fake news about Algeria or produced in Algeria or shared in Algeria.
0: That's Nassim you heard there. He's an Algerian IT specialist based in Paris and one of the two admins in charge of fake news DZ. In case you're wondering, DZ is the internet country domain for Algeria. We're not using Nassim's surname simply because he still has family back in Algeria
5: and he doesn't want trouble for them. The Facebook page was created In the starts of April of this year, uh, it was created in the context of the protests uh, in Algeria because when the protests started, me and some friends of mine, uh, we saw that there was an increase of uh, the published fake news. And for us, it was important because it was a very special context. It is still a very special context, very sensitive. And we think it's a good field for the propagation of the fake news. So far, Nassim says they've managed to debunk 300 fake news stories.
0: Quite a big tally if you think they've been running for less than six months. But Nassim is confident and claims none of the fake news stories they've posted about has turned out to be true in the end.
5: We try to debunk only the ones that we can be sure and we can provide proof of the information being wrong. Give you a good example. A lot of famous pages with millions of followers on Facebook. They were sharing a news saying the journalist David Scollery from I think it was Washington Post said, Wow, look at these protests. These people are amazing. It's not like the Arab protests, they must not be Arabs.
0: Saying something like this would be seen as incredibly controversial and deeply divisive for a number of reasons, not least because Algeria has a long history of ethnic tensions between Arabs and
5: Berbers. So when I read this, I was like, uh, this sounds wrong. I don't think a journalist of the Washington Post would say that. It's a very sensitive subject. So when I saw this, I tried to check the news and this journalist, he didn't exist. It was a fake name. And of course, the, the article they talked about in Washington Post was a fake article. We didn't find it anywhere, no trace of it. <laughs>
0: It may sound simple, but not every fake news story Nassim writes about is as straightforward as this one. And it's important to say Nassim is not a journalist by trade. This is just a hobby that he does when he's not at work. He may lack the experience of a seasoned reporter, but he says the tools he uses to distinguish fact from fiction are available to anyone with an internet connection.
5: We use a lot of Google image, images.google.com, which is reverse search of uh, pictures. I'd say half of our uh, fake news are misused pictures or photoshopped pictures, and Google helps a lot we have a lot of followers that say uh, you must have some background or you must be helped by someone because you how can you find all of this but honestly the majority of the fake news are really easy to find out about as easy as doing a Google uh, research let's say a uh, post saying that uh, President Macron... The French president... said this about Algeria. Well, we try to look at all the news, all the recent articles, posts about Macron or his recent interventions. And if we don't find it... For us, it's a proof, especially if it's uh, given some, a quote, which is like, unbelievable. But of course, we try to read everything about it to find out that this quote is false and completely invented.
0: And because there isn't a deep-seated culture of fact-checking among Algerian media, this sort of work is still seen with some suspicion by many people.
5: I mean, some people even accuse us of working with the secret services or something. So,
0: And just to be clear, do you work with Algeria's secret services? No, we do not.
5: <laughs> we do not work with any services, with any government uh, at all.
0: It's been five months since President Buteflika resigned from office. But as we heard earlier, protesters say they won't stand down until what's left of what they describe as Buteflika's regime is truly gone forever. Their resolve is undeterred, and so is their opponents.
5: The most political fake news are directed at one side, which is stop protesting. We don't need protests anymore, or the situation is way better now. Everything is way better. More of the fake news that we share are on this side, the, the side that's trying maybe to create some divisions among the protesters, the side that's trying to that say in the repeating the official speech, sorry, of the government.
0: But fact-checker Nassim is keen to point out that he's also seen evidence suggesting the protesters themselves have used similar tactics.
5: During the summer, for example, during Ramadan, where the protests were less massive, and they are, of course, less massive compared to the first weeks, we saw uh, some people, even some politicians, sharing pictures of the protests, saying that this is what happened today. But it was old pictures of old protests, which shows that they wanted to to show that the protests are still going in a massive way. And they did this by using an old picture. So we debunk this because we think that this is not fair.
0: We contacted the Algerian embassy here in the UK to ask for their comment on the various allegations raised in this programme. We also reached out to the Algerian Ministry of Communications. But at the time of recording, we still haven't heard back from either of them. We also approached Facebook to find out what they're doing to tackle some of the issues raised in this program. They sent us a statement saying, We
2: don't want our platform to be used to manipulate people, and we work aggressively to combat the spread of disinformation. When we find that pages and profiles are being used in a coordinated way to spread disinformation we remove them. We have also invested heavily in technology to detect and remove fake accounts. From January to March alone, we proactively took down 2.2 billion fake profiles. We strongly urge people to report this activity to us when they see it, so we can investigate and take action. When I look at
0: some of the recent photos of the protests in Algeria, it takes me back to the early days of the Arab Spring, eight years ago, back in 2011, when popular uprisings led to the fall of a number of leaders who'd clung on to power for decades, in Tunisia, in Egypt, in Libya. But curiously, not in Algeria, where at the time President Bouteflika managed to defuse this ticking time bomb of discontent by offering a series of concessions to the protesters. Those were the days most of us in the media were glued to our smartphones, to our screens, watching in awe history unfold in front of our eyes. The excitement of a revolution blasted all over social media. But in an age of information warfare, is any of that excitement left? Here's Dr Omar Al-Ghazi, again from the London School of Economics.
4: At that time in 2011, there was a lot of celebration of the role of social media in democratization, a lot of trust in what is accessed via social media. But now the culture of talking about social media has changed globally, and there is more awareness of fake news and disinformation. And that is why I think Algerian activists recognize that there is a lot of value of early on kind of tackling the issue of fake news, of creating social media pages that expose instances of fake news, kind of like really maintaining a culture of truth online.
0: And that's it for this edition of the BBC Trending podcast. I'm Marco Silva. Sarah Jackson was our production coordinator, Gareth Jones our sound engineer, Mike Wendling our editor. Remember, if you'd like to get in touch about anything you heard here today on the podcast, just send me an email to Marco. That's marco.silva, S-I-L-V-A at bbc.co.uk. If you really, really like the show, then leave us a rating or a review. It helps us get our program to more and more people. And just before we go, here's another World Service podcast we've been
6: listening to. Hello, where has your life taken you? It's
4: kind of an adventure.
6: Did you expect to end up where you are now?
3: I really believe that I'm making some change.
6: The documentary podcast from the BBC World Service takes you to surprising and unexpected places.
0: People are afraid to use the road. Yeah, at yeah, night. yeah.
6: And that's exactly what happened to the people in our new series of shows. That's the road we're walking back on. Yeah. <laughs> My is Asif Kapadia, and I'm the presenter of Detours, produced in collaboration with Sundance Institute. We meet Greeks and in dead relatives over the mountains to Bulgaria.
4: I ask sometimes the body, what kind of music do you like?
6: Wild elephants forced off their feeding paths in Assam, India.
4: How can one relax when there's
1: an elephant just outside
6: your homestead? People on the move from Africa seeking better lives in the USA.
1: How many people do you share a tent with?
3: Ten people. The tent, people are the tent, yeah.
6: A young Rohingya man stuck on an island in the Pacific.
4: Have I committed any crime? No. I'm just trying to save my life.
6: And a Macedonian medical student writing fake news for a living.
3: We know what's wrong, but sometimes in our country, the wrong is the only way to survive.
6: That's Detours on the documentary podcast from the BBC World Service. We're
3: passing
4: by life, you know. We're here now and then we're not
6: just search for the documentary wherever you get your podcasts